recording this intro from a hotel room in Nashville about five hours before this episode needs to be put out into the world. November has been a very, very busy month, but there's still been time for reading and for reflecting and for talking about books. Somehow in the midst of this crazy month, I've managed to read the entire long list for the National Book Awards, and I'll find a chance to talk about that at some point. But today, we are getting to a book that I think everyone has heard the hype about, if you follow literature at all, and I'm so excited to dive in. Welcome to your favorite book. So Deba, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I really appreciate it. And before we get started, I want to know, how are you holding up now that everything is dark and sad at a much earlier time? Oh my God. I forgot daylight savings even existed um, <laughs> until I woke up on Sunday and I was like, wow, I woke up so early. This is so unusual for me. And then I looked at my microwave and I was like, wait. No, it didn't happen. So I'm I'm not adjusting well. I I thought I was getting like early riser, but in reality, no. It's just yes. I, I it's always the microwave clock or the oven clock that gives it away, and it's like oh yeah. But um, I I enjoyed the extra hour of sleep, but I really didn't like coming home from work at like a reasonable hour and it being like pitch dark outside. And I know this is just how winter is, but I'm still gonna be grumpy about it. So that's yeah, just. It's- 5 p.m. darkness is just not, it's just not for me. It's not natural. I'm not about it. I am not about it. Um, anyway, so let's jump into talking a little bit about everything here. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about this book you have? Sure. So um, I'm a young adult author. I also write middle grade, but my debut YA novel, House of Yesterday, is releasing pretty soon, actually, uh, in a few weeks. Um, from FSG Books for Young Readers. And I like to call it an Afghan haunting of Hill House, if you will. It's a genre-bending ghost story that follows a mother-daughter duo into an abandoned mansion renovation in the suburbs of Long Island. But of course, with all things supernatural, um, the seemingly abandoned home is full of a past that links our main character, Sara, and her family history together. Um, So when she goes into the home, she starts seeing these ghostly apparitions of her family, specifically her grandmother when she was young. And the more time she spends in this home, she realizes there is a darker history that Mm. has her really desperate to learn more and willing to do anything to get the house to reveal more of its secrets, which is exactly what the house wants. Mm. Bringing up this question of what is it or who is it the house really wants? That's such an enticing way to describe your story. Oh my God. Um, And it, It's perfect for kind of this post-Halloween spooky fall season. Um, But also like that, I don't say that to sort of, you know, cutesify the story that you've written here. It's an incredibly deep and complex story, especially for middle grade readers. And the thing that actually stood out to me the most about the story, apart from the, you know, somewhat supernatural elements, but it's really the familial relationships that are at the core of this story. So we have our main character, Sarah, at the center. She 
struggles in a lot of her familial relationships. There's a separate one with her mother, her father, her aunts, her grandmother, her friends. Um, it's, it's a big family. There's all these different moving pieces. And from a writing perspective, was it hard for you to balance these various threads in the scope of one story? Yes. <laughs> Can I say just yes? Um, it was a huge cast of characters, but it was important for me to have Sara come from a big family. I myself come from a huge family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, growing up, I never saw myself in stories and being able to write um, a young adult novel myself, I really wanted my own lived experience to be reflected in the pages. So mm-hmm. for me, that teenage experience was very much, you know, that big family, very, very involved nuclear family um, lots of cousins, cousins that kind of took the place of friends because mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but like I, when I was growing up, like I wasn't allowed to have outside American friends. It was very rare. Like my, because we had so many cousins, like they became your best friends. Um, and coming, you know, coming from an immigrant family, that's just how my parents felt comfortable. Yeah. Um, but keeping all of their relationships, um, tangled and intertwined and, and separate um, was was very challenging for me. Absolutely. And I'm curious, you say a huge family, lots of cousins. If you had, how many first cousins do you have? I have, I would say around a hundred first cousins on both sides of the family combined. Oh um, my gosh. Yes. So when I say it's large, I, it's, that's large. It's large. It's very large. So, I mean, not having a lot of outside friends. I mean, when you have a hundred cousins, I guess yeah. if you don't really feel the gap. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I always, whenever I hear people talk about a big family, I always want to know how many cousins they have um, because my family is the polar opposite. I have one first cousin and that's both oh sides. Oh my, my goodness. Family. I have one cousin. And so we just have an extremely small family and that's just kind of what I knew. And so my cousin was practically another sister, but I always think about these bunch of cousins. And I'm like, what is that like? And I think this book kind of brings some of that to light. There's all these names, there's these people coming in and out and it's overwhelming, but also there's just this commute, this big communal family. And there's no strict divisions between you're this person's child or that person's child. It's like, we're one family. And that felt really interesting to read about. Um, and then sort of going along with that, thinking about writing the sort of the, I guess, generational trauma is the best way to put it, but specifically the impact that a parent's upbringing can have on the next generation. And I feel that we see this palpably because um, Sarah's parents are fleeing a war. They are refugees in that purest sense. They are leaving a war-torn nation and coming to the U.S. And it can be harder for them to sometimes see what they view as smaller scale problems going on in their daughter's life. And I'm wondering if there was an aspect to that sort of broad idea of generational trauma that you felt that you feel is unique to the Afghan experience that you wanted to bring onto the page. Oh, definitely. Um, And I think this is not limited to the Afghan experience, um, Mm -hmm. but really for uh, a lot of immigrants that um, came to a different country under um, distressing circumstances. But in the case of the story, um, Sara's parents, they are immigrants from Afghanistan and they immigrated around 40-ish years ago to the US. Um, 
during the SAR revolution that happened in the late 70s in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a traumatic experience for the family. Um, my family actually also, that's when they immigrated. So that's where I drew a lot of the inspiration from. And what they don't talk about in these experiences is it's almost like they were taught that the the trauma didn't happen or it didn't really exist. So mm-hmm. when Sara's family left for America, um, they kind of gloss over how difficult it was and how big it it that that moment really was for them. Mainly because a, a lot of them were in you know different stages of their life, um, and they just kind of settled into um, America, and they really just kind of had this mentality of, you know, we just have to keep going. It is what it is. And kind of like put a mask over it and keep the keep the the brave face on and just move forward because there's really no looking back for them. And so when Sato's parents kind of learned to bury these feelings um, from their parents, um, Sato then, as she's growing up, is starting to learn to bury her own hard feelings um, when it comes to her own family situation. Her parents are getting a divorce, but they're not Mm -hmm. telling her she's getting a divorce because what they've learned is, you know, to bury difficult things, uncomfortable topics, uncomfortable feelings, just to kind of like push them all under the rug and maybe no one will notice. Mm -hmm. Um, And Sara as a character, you know, being 15 years old is really struggling with this idea of, um, why is no one talking about these things that are so hurtful? Um, and in her eyes, it's really the the separation. But in her parents' eyes, they think that it's not such a big deal yeah. comparatively. And so it's like that push-pull within the generations of um, what do you do when the biggest like event of your life, which a divorce is kind of like a war. It is like a war zone in this case, because mm-hmm. um, it's very messy. It's, it's very argumentative. It's, you know, very violent. And for Sara, that is her war. Yeah. But what do you do when like, your parents um, kind of downplay that where they're like, well, you don't really understand what a war is, mm-hmm. because this is nowhere near to what they experienced, which right. was a quote unquote war, true war, but um, and that's kind of like one of the threads of that that, that um, I explore in the novel of kind of this generational pain that's different, but also not so different. They're connected, but they're not seeing the connection with one another. And it's it's like you know from the outside looking in that honest communication would do a lot in terms of healing this divide between these characters, but you know, getting to a point where you can have that honest communication is most of the battle at this stage. So uh, you you feel that, you know, like just talk to each other, but you know that, you know, jumping over that gap is far more than just a conversation and takes a lot to even lead up to that. And I think you render that so well, especially for a young adult audience and for people who have felt caught between in adult conflict but are young and that are young enough to not get involved but are old enough to understand so it is definitely that middle ground that we see and you know thinking about Sara and thinking about kind of how she internalizes the world you do something that I found really interesting and that's when Sara is in especially stressful situations um she how she kind of deals with panic and anxiety 
she's oh, she's counting. She counts to 10. She counts many times. And sometimes she counts happy memories. Sometimes she counts to calm herself down. But there is this counting motif that comes up many times in the book, sort of to ground herself. And I've talked to other young adult writers about how they sort of show conflict and anxiety and coping mechanisms. And they all have different ways that they bring that onto the page. So I'm curious to know where the counting motif came for you and how you intended to use that for Sara. Yeah, so the counting, it came quite naturally, kind of came formed with her as a character as I started to write her. I don't count, so I actually don't know where I got the idea from. But when I was writing her first chapter, and um, when it wasn't the first chapter, well, now it's it's no longer the first chapter. But when I was writing the story, um, it was the the moment where she kind of makes a makes a connection that uh, the apparition in the house that was you know a younger version of her grandmother she made a connection that perhaps there is some truth to this um, this this feeling in the home and it really overwhelms her and she um, leaves you know she leaves her home and she goes outside to kind of like clear her head and catch her breath and she starts all of a sudden to count. Um, and she starts to count and she starts to remember something other than the, the moment that she's in, remember a feeling of something other than the feeling that she's in. And she does that to, I wouldn't say calm herself down, but to remove herself from her reality. Mm. So, um, I'm not a psychologist, but I would say that Sara throughout the story with the counting kind of dissociates herself from her reality because she is still too young and doesn't have the tools yet to quite process her feelings and her emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, And because her feelings are so big and overwhelming, um, she kind of just shuts off that part of herself and turns on something that makes her feel safe, which is digging into these moments in her past that she feels are happy. But when you kind of look at the moments that she's calling they're not really actually very happy Mm. and because they kind of turn a little sour it then just kind of like jars her back into the present moment and it it feels like it didn't really help her at all um so it's it's part of her emotional journey this you know clinging to the past and thinking that it you know what things were were better is part of her arc to kind of like reconcile within herself that, you know, while it's okay to look back, um, there is a danger in staying back. Mm. Um, so that's where it came from. I really like that because it, it highlights something that I, uh, I always look for when I read YA and it is to see if the writers are really making their characters messy enough. And what I mean by that is I feel like for people who get annoyed by YA characters wanting them to kind of have a bigger hold of their emotions or know how to deal with them or never behave in a way that's quote unquote problematic, I feel like you're ignoring how it feels to actually be a teenager and to be caught between this era of you recognize all these problems are there, but you don't know how to solve them yet with others or with yourself. And if you write these teen characters that are perfectly in control of themselves at all times and know exactly what to say and master therapy speak and all of that, you're you're not writing a teenager. And I feel like Sarah was a very relatable teenager in how she 
is yearning for the connection she used to have, romanticizing the past, you know, just trying to reach out for communication, get back seemingly what there was before, whether or not that's true or not. And I, I just found that about her immensely relatable. And it definitely propels the whole story forward because you believe in Sara, you believe in what she wants. And that's evident. Oh, yes. Sara is a mess. <laughs> she <laughs> is a mess of a character. And that was very intentional. I didn't want her to be put together because... I can't think of any 15-year-old that was put together no. um, emotionally or, or not emotionally. It, it's just it didn't ring true. And I also, um, it was important to make Sora a prickly character and mm. also a little unlikable because this is a little cliche, but, you know, there is that song, Hurt People, Hurt People. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what I wanted um, her character arc to be is because she was she is so deeply hurt she in turn isn't really a nice person um, yeah. to a lot of the people who are trying to help her but it's because she is in this pain and she doesn't know how to process these big messy feelings that you know she makes mistakes and maybe she makes the same mistake like 10 15 times but I feel like mm -hmm. that is young adulthood it is making the same mistake over and over again until you don't anymore. And there really isn't like a manual that can tell you when to stop making that mistake. Yeah. Um, even for myself, like my parents could literally tell me the solution and it wouldn't matter um, mm -hmm. because until I was ready to face that solution, I was going to keep doing what I was doing. So <laughs> it was, you know, so it was important for me, you know, to make Sara messy, to make her a little unlikable. And hopefully, you know, by the end, um, she becomes a little likable to you. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I loved her. I hated her. And, you know, it just, she's, she's Sara. <laughs> She's real. And that's, I think, the most important thing when you write a story like this, especially when you sort of venture into the, the surreal and certain elements, when you have that character who feels real to ground you in the story, it just really helps you along. And I, I found Sara immensely real. And definitely for all my YA readers out there, I think House of Yesterday, you know, it, it really just marries a lot of the themes I really enjoy, brought up some great new perspectives and it was just a joy to read, honestly. So I'm, I'm so glad that you were able to share it with me. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> we're going to transition over to the book you picked for this episode. And this is definitely the most recent book that someone has chosen for the show. This literally just came out like maybe a month ago, a few weeks ago. And but you described it as one of your favorite books that you've read recently. And honestly, I was just dying to talk about this and dying to read it. So I'm so glad we get this opportunity. And um, I actually had to borrow a copy from a family member because the library list was so long and I was never going to get it off hold. But anyway, we're talking about I'm Glad My Mom Died, the memoir by Jeanette McCurdy. And Deepa, before we get started, I usually ask uh, people, you know, where were you in your life when you read this? But obviously this book... <laughs> just came out, but I'm interested in knowing, were you a fan of Jeanette's or her work before reading this book? Or did you happen to pick it up just due to how it was received or heard about it later? I'm just curious to know your, your background with Jeanette as a person. I, you know, I grew up in the, um, not the iCarly era, but a, a like a, a couple years before it. So mm -hmm. when iCarly uh, was airing, 
I was a little too old for it. Um, mm. So I missed that era, but I watched a few episodes and Jeanette was my favorite character on that show. And when they got mm-hmm. the spinoff, like I was just like everything about her character. I was like, yes, like tomboy. Yes. Love snacks. Yes. Like sar- dry sarcasms. Like that's exactly the character that I enjoy. <laughs> um, kind of thought a little bit, but um that's kind of all I knew about her. And then when I saw her memoir come out, number one, the title, I was like, mm-hmm. I need, I need to read this. Um, and then I read it and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> it was incredible. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad you're coming at it from that perspective as someone, you know, you had kind of seen the show a little bit and then found the book were drawn in by its title. I came into it from kind of the opposite perspective where I was also a little old for iCarly, but I had a younger sister and the two of us watched a lot of iCarly to the point where I feel like I've seen the whole show maybe multiple times at this point. Oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, I watched way too much TV as a kid, but basically I know a lot about everything Nickelodeon. It's one of my weird interests. I'll go down Wikipedia rabbit holes about all things Nickelodeon. So I knew about some of the external drama surrounding all of this for a while. And then I heard when they were doing the reboot that Jeanette wasn't going to sign on. And I was like, this is interesting. And when the book came out, I was like, this sounds really fascinating. And like the title, of course, the cover where she's holding that urn and it's little bits of paper in there. And it's just this pink urn. And I'm like, there is, there is something to this. And I'm like, I, I normally am not super drawn in by celebrity memoirs with a couple exceptions, but I, I had to read this. So I, I was glad I got to. And for everybody listening, um, for those, you probably have heard of this be- book before. I feel like it's one of the most most talked about books of the last month. But if you haven't, and if you want to continue listening to this episode, I just need to let you know, There are a lot of triggers in this book. So if you are someone who is sensitive to content about emotional abuse and especially ED or eating disorder related content, you know, keep that in mind. Uh, This may be something to step away from, might not be the right book for you at this time, because that's definitely a focal point of what goes on in the book. So just wanted to put that out there um, because, wow, this is heavy stuff. Oh, man. And... What do you think, Diva, from you you reading this memoir, what stood out to you the most reading this book? Can I say everything? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I um I actually I listened to it because I needed to listen to her mm. like her own words, her own voice, listen to her recall her own story. And if you haven't listened to the audiobook, I 100% recommend it. It is it elevates it and makes it way more painful, way more real. Um, but I think what I found to be so incredible is that the way that she is able to so simply sum everything up in such a way that it's heavy material, but the way that she explains everything, it's not overly heavy. She knows exactly when to far back from a moment or a scene and mm-hmm to get us through her life. I really enjoyed really how short each chapter was. It was very episodic, but it was needed because I felt like if we had gone through all of those childhood moments um, in long exposition, heavy chapters, I feel like I, I couldn't, I don't know if I would have been able to go, to get through the book. Right. Um, so I, I love the way that she talked about 
such heavy subject matter, but in a way that never felt overwhelming, if that makes yeah. sense. That's a great point. And I'm glad you highlight the short chapters because I was quibbling about that a little bit in my head. I mean, it made it a very propulsive read. You know, you read a short chapter and it makes you want to go on to the next one and the next one. I think I read most of this book in one night. It just, it just pushes you forward that way. But on the flip side, I've read a lot of memoirs, both for the show and outside the show. And the memoirs I tend to like, especially when they reflect on childhood, tend to be a bit more ruminating, a bit more literary in that sense. They kind of draw on a bunch of things and present these longer chapters. And at times I found myself wanting a little bit more of that, but also at the same time, I think giving us these windows into her lived experience allowed us to kind of gather what we could from the scene and make our own judgments as well. Because especially at the beginning, when she's telling the stories of her childhood and they're told kind of through her childlike lens when she's not recognizing abuse yet, I think that allows us to kind of let all of this sink in. And we're kind of learning with her how abusive all of this is. And you wouldn't really get that effect if it's these long chapters that are reflective at every moment and are clearly adult Jeanette looking back, back and forth like that. So I think the short chapters, you know, make it for, make it a better read and allow you to kind of grow with Jeanette and make these realizations with her. Exactly. Um, I think that's what I really enjoyed about it is that when you're seeing it through her eyes, you're really seeing it at that age for her. And there were a few moments when I was like, something feels wrong, but I don't know why. Mm -hmm. And as you keep reading, you're like, and I don't want to spoil the book for anyone who wants to read it, but some of the moments in her childhood, especially when she gets older and mm -hmm. um, her mother does um, some strange things that you probably shouldn't do when a child reaches a certain age. And yes. just listening to her explain it and never feeling like it is wrong, but something in the back of my head makes me Feel like a little flag is waving but I could never like put my finger on it until we get you know once um, she becomes an adult and goes through therapy and starts analyzing everything then it all kind of comes together like oh oh mm -hmm. um, and I feel like that was masterfully done I mean I I can't imagine how it must have been like to to make an, a narrative out of your pain um, but yeah. then to do it so well I'm just incredible. I love that. A narrative out of her pain, because that's exactly what she did. And the narrative part of that is definitely coming through because the story doesn't end. I mean, this isn't a spoiler. Her mom dies. I mean, <laughs> it's in the title. You know but, it in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> right. The story doesn't end when her mom dies. The story continues on and we get this whole section that's just labeled after. And you think like, oh, things are going to just get better from here. You know, the, the big bad mom is gone, but that's a, such a simplistic way of looking at it because if anything, things get a lot harder for Jeanette as things get, as she gets older and oh, part yeah. of that is her coming into adulthood and dealing with these lingering feelings. There is a tremendous amount of loss that she feels. Her feelings for her mom are immensely complicated and it, it just, it doesn't get easy for her. It shows that the grief is not linear. She sort of goes back and forth with things like her eating disorder a lot. Like it's constant. And you get the impression, even at the book ends, like this isn't a wrapped up story for her. This is a snapshot of where she is right now, but like she's going to be struggling with a lot of this for her whole life. And that's rendered so well. And that just made it 
so realistic to read. Yeah, and I think what I really enjoyed about it is when we see almost the second half of the story after her mother is gone. Um, it's a theme that I enjoy, and I it's a theme that's in my book as well, about when you have so many unanswered questions, right? When you are now of an age where you fully comprehend, understand, and now have holes in who her mother was, mm-hmm. why her mother made the decisions that she made, why did she keep certain things from her and her siblings, you know, to have these gaping holes in your identity and to have the person who was your hero kind of have, leave you feeling like, why? Like, why didn't you tell me? Like, I don't, and I don't want to spoil it because it's like, you know, there's so many bombshells throughout the, especially at the end. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's kind of like, yeah, when, when then that person is no longer there to answer, I think it makes healing and getting over it almost impossible because you kind of have to reconcile within yourself that you'll never know. And you have to be okay with that. And I know that takes a long time to get over if, and and many people don't. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I think the strongest parts of the book are the ones where she really delves into that complex relationship with her mom, you know, before and after. I think the book, you know, the book does delve into some other themes. So we get a little bit of her Hollywood life. We get a little bit about her relationships with the creator, who for anyone in the know about Nickelodeon is likely Dan Schneider, um, who made a lot of those teen Nick shows and has had his own share of controversies. And we get sort of these tastes of kind of the drama behind it, like Jeanette's feelings towards Ariana Grande, her, you know, enduring friendship with Miranda Cosgrove, a little bit of that. And those parts definitely did add. I, I kind of either wanted them amped up or downplayed. At times I was just wondering, you know, how do these relate to the whole story? I was almost looking for some sort of narrative continuance, but it doesn't really always work that way. It is a memoir. It's not fiction. Um, but those are really minor quibbles with this book in the end. I, I think it's just a, a beautifully told story. And it, there's a limit to what we can say because, you know, we don't want to spoil things, but I will say... Jeanette's use of detail, I mean, I know she's not a trained writer, and we'll get into like where she's going with her writing, but she she picks out these very memorable details. Like there is a scene where her family is getting ready for church, and it's because church is her happy place. She feels better at church than she does at home, which is its own thing, but she's trying to get her family ready, and like she's trying to cover up things for her mom and keep her mom happy because if her mom's not happy, they can't go to church. She's already carrying the emotional burden of her whole messy family. And there's these little tidbits that are added in like, oh, if you spill something on the rug, my mom will want new tights and she'll insist on stopping to buy them. And these little details that she really picks up and adds in, it feels almost journalistic in a way, but it really makes you feel like you're there in the room with them and you don't want to be there, but you're there. Oh my God. Yes. Uh, I completely forgot about that scene. And then you just brought me back to the anxiety that I felt when I was listening to it. Cause it felt her story is so relatable. When I was listening to that scene, it kind of transported me back to when I was that age, because I also grew up in a very volatile household. And ironically, um, I'm not Christian, but I'm Muslim. And I do remember that actually the times that we did go to the masjid um, to for for Sunday school, 
those were fantastic, amazing times for me because for the same reasons Jeanette uh, pointed out in her book, it was, you know, a couple hours out of the week, you know, somewhere else mm-hmm. where you weren't around fighting and you weren't walking around eggshells and you weren't having to make sure that everything was perfect so your mom wouldn't have a breakdown or your dad wouldn't, you know, emotionally disengage. I was like, oh my God, is she writing my life? Like, <laughs> um, but it just goes to show really how um, universal a lot of these struggles are for young kids who come from families that, you know, are not perfect and that are crumbling a little bit. And the pressure that you put on yourself to kind of be the glue, to kind of keep everyone okay. Um, I didn't realize it as a kid, what I was internalizing. And I still learn more about it as an adult and reading Jeanette's memoir opened my eyes again to this feeling of, um, you know what, that is not okay for a kid to feel like they have all that responsibility on their shoulders. And I believe in the memoir, her grandfather even says, you know, you should be a kid, you shouldn't be worrying Mm -hmm. about these things. And she's like, what are you talking about? Of course, I have to worry about these things. And I started to cry because I was like, yes, exactly. That's how (laughs) I was like, that's exactly how I felt too. Um, So it was it was like my self healing along with her. Yeah, um, when I was reading this. Um, that's so beautifully put. And I'm glad you you shared that because, you know, it had me thinking people often bring up books like this and they say, is this book only relevant if you are a, you know, a fan of the TV show or a fan of Jeanette before or B, if you came from a household where a lot of this rings true. And I think, you know, the story can have an extra level of resonance for that. But I think also the way Jeanette writes is, even if you haven't experienced these things firsthand, you feel them along with her. She she brings up a tremendous amount of empathy in her writing. That's just something she's able to do in her, you know, her anecdotal phrasing. You are there with her, even if you haven't lived that experience. Of course, if you have lived something similar, I can imagine it adds that extra level for you. But I think that all this means to say is that I can broadly recommend this to, you know, many people, even if you weren't a fan of the show or haven't grown up in a volatile household or uh, keeping the trigger warnings in mind, I still think this is a very valuable read. I didn't know what to think. I've read celebrity memoirs. I haven't liked too many of them, uh, but this one really felt like it came from an authentic place. And I know she is a deal now to write fiction and more nonfiction. She's got a recent book deal I've heard and, I'm interested in knowing how her style will translate to fiction. Um, I think that'll be an interesting pivot for her, but I'll be, I'll be on the lookout for it because I'm, I'm interested in that. Definitely. I'm very curious to see what her next novel will be. Um, if it will be a departure from the style of her memoir, but whatever it is, I'm, I'm going to purchase it. <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely interested for sure. And sort of wrapping all this together, you know, trying to compare this book to other books, like I've, like I've said, I've, read some celebrity memoirs and none of them really compare well to this one. Either they're very lighthearted or they're more about show business and less about, you know, personal coming of age. Um, I think if you were going to go with the celebrity memoir, I really enjoyed Cal Penn's You Can't Be Serious. It's very different tone, but um, he brings up a lot of his real struggles uh, being an Asian American actor and the discrimination he often faced and things like that. Um, he and Jeanette also had the same first agent, Barbara Cameron, both were mentioned in the book. Oh. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, Very interesting. 
Yeah. And, but I also think if you wanted something more thematically similar, um, and I've recommended this book a million times, but I can't stop recommending Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner. You took um, mine. <laughs> I took yours. Okay. You took it. It's I'll okay. let you talk about it then. No, it's okay. Cool. I'll, I'll pick a different, I'll pick something else. Okay. Then, um, yeah. So Crying in H Mart, I mean, we've talked about it before on the show. We had a whole episode or something about it. We've talked about it, but essentially it, it's just a wonderful mother-daughter exploration. Again, another complicated relationship. And this one tends towards more of the literary ruminating uh, memoir that I tend to prefer, but it similarly has that idea of balancing out, you know, creative ambitions with a complicated family and not knowing what you want to do and then dealing with grief and loss in very tangible ways and having those mixed feelings. So I think these two are spiritual companions in that sense. But um, Diva, if I didn't choose all your ideas, if you've got another <laughs> one to throw out, I'd love to hear it. It's okay. You know, I don't read too much memoir. Um, and I think it's for the same reasons that you were saying. It's just, it's, it's, um, it's very tricky when you're reading a memoir to really connect to it. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to cheat and do a fiction instead. Okay. <laughs> so, um, there is actually another YA debut novel called We Deserve Monuments by Jess mm. Hammonds that has the same, um, thematic elements as I'm glad my mother died. Um, it's about a young teenage girl who's uprooted from her life in DC and she moves down to the South with, um, her parents. Um, to take care of her ailing grandmother who is um, dying with cancer. Mm. And it's the same themes of, you know, strained family, um, a lot of familial secrets, small town, a lot of secrets within the small town, and um, the question of, like, what what is worth more, keeping the peace or understanding mm-hmm. um, your past and how it relates to you. It's... Definitely, when I was reading this memoir, I thought of also this book. Um, you know, it has the same sort of feeling, complicated history, and you know what happens when that person does pass away, and you still don't have all the answers. What yeah. you know, what do you do with all those complicated feelings? Um, so I would, I would recommend that book. That's a wonderful choice, and I'm definitely going to have to pick that up. Um, I, I I love stories that deal with complicated grief, and there there's been so many that I've talked about recently on the show, and this is another one that I think I would definitely recommend to a lot of people. And you probably didn't need our recommendations. This book's been recommended by everybody, but if you haven't picked it up yet, definitely do. And then, um, Diba, if we want to find you and your work, where can we do that? Sure. So my website, divazagapur.com, will have everything up to date with my current book, future books. Um, And then on social media, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at divazagapur. So my handle is just my name, very plain and simple. Um, And please reach out to me after you read this book, because I am literally dying to talk to anybody who's read this book so we can just analyze all of our feelings together. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I will, I will join that. Definitely join the conversation. You know where to find me on Instagram and Twitter, everybody listening. And Diba, thank you so much for your time. It's greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. I so enjoyed our conversation.